So we've been talking over the last few weeks about the subject of the anointing, and I felt like today I wanted to continue down that path and talk about the anointing and, and what God wants to do in your life. So I'm going to give you a few things in reference to the anointing that God wants to accomplish in your life through the anointing. Everybody say the anointing. If you're new with us today, you're watching online for the first time, let me give you a basic definition of the anointing. It is the manifested presence of God. It's when God becomes tangible. It's when you can begin to feel him in the room, when you, he's, you, 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 you know it. And, and he's always present. We discovered over the last several weeks that any time two or three are gathered on my name, he is there. You can't go anywhere that God's not there. But there's something different when the presence of God becomes the manifested presence of God, which brings in the anointing. The anointing is the tangible, manifested presence of God that brings with it power to set free and to deliver. Amen? Last week, we looked at the scripture that says, listen, you have an anointing. I'm just reminding you today, you have an anointing. Okay, maybe, maybe you're like, well, no, 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 there's stuff going on in my way. You have an anointing. And God wants to allow that anointing to bring change into your life and into your world. So sometimes in the church world, we use words that largely go undefined. You know, we use big words and we don't quite define them. And then we hope that people understand exactly what it is that we're talking about. But how will we ever arrive where God wants us to arrive if we don't have a framework for what the destination looks like? Then we're just traveling down a road without knowing where we're going. And that's not what God wants. So I want to give us a little bit of framework of what the anointing looks like, what it can do in your life, what its purpose is. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about revival and reformation and awakening. There's a lot of that happening right now in the, the church and in the world. And everybody's really got a different term for what they call a move of the spirit, um, you know, depending on their denomination or, or their background. But whatever it is, we are in the midst of the spirit moving in unusual ways around the world. And it's powerful. I don't know if you're aware of that. I don't know if you've watched more CNN or more TikToks than you have to discover what God's doing in the earth. But let me just give you a hint that Asbury was just the tip. Revivals are still breaking out every week in different places of the world. And you're like, well, how am I supposed to know? You will find out information that you want to know. Come on, one of the, the most significant things is check out your algorithms in your social media feed. If it ain't giving you any Christian news, you've probably got a problem somewhere. All right. I can tell what you talk about by your algorithms. How many of you know that? Talk about something, you know, with, with Sarah in the car, and before you know it, the next time I look at my phone, there's an ad on Facebook for that very thing that we were talking about. So if you want to know what your spirit is after... Look at the ads in your Facebook account, and that'll tell you. All right, moving on. Some of you are like, oh, God, no. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But revival is breaking out in different places, and I am so encouraged about this because the world has grown darker and darker, and report after report after report has said it does not look good for the church. Young people are walking away from the church in groves. They're running from our buildings. And it looked as in, for a moment that there was nothing that we could do, that the church was destined to die because if you've lost your next generation, you've already lost the game. Come on, you, you're just a time clock waiting to expire. But when you have a generation coming up after you who's going after God and pursuing God and on fire for God, then you can pass the church into good hands. Come on, somebody. But it didn't look good for the church, and it didn't look good for the body of Christ. But then suddenly, God just says, just, just hold on a minute. I'm going to start revivals, and I'm going to make it in the most unlikely place in a university that's not even filled with the Spirit of God, and it's going to ignite fires all around the nation and all around the world. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. 
I think it's significant that the movie was released, Jesus Revolution. If you haven't seen that, I encourage you, go see that movie. And it's really a picture of what God did in the 60s and 70s with the Jesus movement. And that within itself is, again, sparking revival in the hearts of people in our nation. It's like Satan said, here, look what I'm doing to the young people. There's nothing you can do. And God said, just watch. Just, just, I'll just like blink a little bit over at this part of the world and revival will just take off and you can't even contain it. So we can be a part of what God's doing or we can resist what God's doing. And I'm determined to see a church who's being a part of what God's doing, but I believe that comes with a knowledge and understanding of what God's doing. So that's why we're diving in to the anointing. And I don't want us to use terms like the anointing and everybody shouting and rejoicing, but we don't quite know what that means. But there are several things from scripture that the anointing will accomplish in your life. Are you ready for these? If you're taking notes, the number one is the anointing of God will break the yoke of bondage. First and foremost, the anointing of God will break the yoke of bondage. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27. For it shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed. Everybody say destroyed. Destroyed. It didn't say broken. Broken, you can mend back together. Destroyed, you can't mend back together. Some reason we think that when God does something in our life, the enemy has the ability to come and bring it back. There's a, a verse of scripture that says uh, in Nahum 1.9, it says, the affliction will not return to you a second time. Somebody's got to stand in faith. I don't care what the enemy says. That thing's gone and out of my life and it's never coming back. Why? Because the anointing of God didn't just break it, didn't just move it out of the way. The anointing of God destroyed the thing, put it under my feet, covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's removed from my life forever. I wish somebody was in the house to shout me down. So the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. So first and foremost is the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. Here's the cool thing about the anointing is you can't fake it. You can put on a good show. You can move people emotionally. You can give them goosebumps and make the little hairs on the back of their neck stand up. That's what Hollywood's been doing for generations. But here's what you can fake, a changed life and broken yokes, destroyed burdens when you walk out of a place. So that's why we got to be careful. Are we being moved in our flesh? But we walk out and there's nothing different in the core. There's no new fire burning in the core. Come on, the prophet said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. So we got to be careful that we're not being moved by, you know, a good production or a good show. Because the anointing breaks the yoke. You can't fake it. You can't. that's That's what I love about God. You can mimic it. But you can't fake it. Because either people are leaving changed or they're not. Either the power of God is moving or it's not. And that's what we can expect when we're in the presence of God. When we get around an anointed environment, bondages that have been on people's backs for years can be destroyed by the power of God in an instant. People walk around with bondages for years that are limiting, limiting them from living their best life, their full life. Things that have happened to them in their past, words that were said over them, disappointments that they experienced, that now they have framed their life. And when I say burdens, I'm like, well, you know, I'm not addicted to drugs and I'm, you know, have no major. Listen, we all have some burdens in our life. There's something that we believe that is wrong that could be limiting us from experiencing the fullness of God. Wrong ways in our thinking, wrong ways in our belief, wrong ways in our theology. Well, God doesn't do that. That's a burden for you if it limits God's ability to work in your life what he wants to do. Well, God doesn't want to provide finances for me. All right, that's your theology. It's not what your Bible said, but it's your theology. And as you believe, so be it unto you. Right? So that's a burden unto you. Why? Because God can't do anything in that realm of your life. Well, God doesn't really care about the affairs of my marriage or my house. You know, he's got bigger problems to worry about. And if that's what you believe, that's a burden to you because it's limiting the relationship that God wants to birth in your house to produce in your own house. 
So you walk around for years just thinking, well, this is the best it will ever be. My kids will never change. My marriage will never change. I'll always live in fear. I'll always have, you know, mental problems. I'll always be depressed. My dad was depressed. My mom was depressed. My uncles were depressed. It's just our DNA. My dad had an anger problem. It's just who I am. And if you begin to believe those things, that thing to you is a burden. But you can go to church week after week after week after week, hear a tickle, hear a little word, sing a little song, but the anointing of God never manifested. And that thing now has limited your life for years and decades and you've never walked into the fullness of what God wants to do because of a burden that's been on your shoulders because of wrong way of thinking in your life. But in a moment, the power of God can touch your life. You get a revelation that that thing's not wrong. God wants more for you and now you walk free. That's why John 10, 10 says, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. I don't want you to just have life. I want you to have life and more abundant life. I want you just to consider for a moment this bottle of water. You know, you buy a bottle of water at Costco or BJ's or your favorite discount store. You know, they can come around 25 cents in a unit. You go to a sports game or any type of big gathering. You're not going to find these for 25 cents. You're going to find these for six, seven dollars a bottle. And then they tell you you can't bring in your own drinks. Why? Because they want you to buy their drinks for six, seven dollars a bottle. Movie theaters do that all the time. One time, me and my four siblings, me and my sisters, went into the movie theater. And my one sister, I won't name names, but my one sister goes and pulls a meat tray out of her purse. And I was wondering why she had such a big purse, but she's like, listen... I'm not paying $20 for one thing of popcorn. I've got a whole meat tray here for $20. It was, it was great. I loved it. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. Now you're all thinking. Yeah. Here's the thing. It's the same water. It's the same bottle. It comes from the same source. It has the same contents. It's the same packaging. The only difference is the environment in which it is consumed. Environments matter to God. I'll say that again. Environments matter to God. When we come into the house of God, has the house been prepared with prayer? Have we prayed? Have we sought God for a move of his spirit? Have we taken a moment and just asked God to have your will and have your way in the house? Did we have praise and worship that didn't just entertain us and, and, you know, sing a little song back to us? But did we have praise and worship that took us beyond our human understanding and brought us into the throne room of God that manifested the spirit and the presence of God? Was it a gathering dedicated to God? Was the word of God released through faith boldly? Did we pray the prayer of faith? I'm convinced today that a spirit-filled environment will take the ordinary song and turn it into an anthem of revival. I'm convinced today that a spirit-filled environment will take the average sermon and turn it into a life-changing word. I'm convinced today that a spirit-filled environment will take a common church, a common people, a common Sunday service, and turn it into an uncommon supernatural place of encounter. Where the power of God is available to change the very details of your life. Why? Because that's what the anointing does. There's power in environment. I've been pastoring churches for 19 years now. And one thing I have learned quickly is I could preach the exact same sermon, sing the exact same song, in a different environment and be hitting my head for 45 minutes up against a brick wall. I could take that same sermon, and I'm saying this by faith, and preach it in this house where there's oil in the room, and that same thing calls a move of the Spirit that brings radical change to people's lives. What's the difference? Hunger from the people of God. What have I come expecting? 
If I've come expecting three points in a poem, I'm not leaned into the sermon. I, you know, I'm thinking about lunch. I'm thinking about dinner. I'm thinking about everything else. And, you know, pastor better not mess up any of those words that he makes up when he preaches sometime. And, you know, I'm thinking about all this other stuff and not really leaning in. Oh, it's no wonder I don't experience nothing. But there's something about when somebody comes ready. When somebody comes hungry for a move of God, when somebody's got their pen, they've got their paper, they're ready, they're leaned into the sermon. What does God want to say? This thing has power to change my life. This thing has power to resurrect dead things in my life. There's something about that environment that attracts the presence of God. You can take a church that's still under construction and has broken glass in their entrance door. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But when the hunger of God fills a room, even in that broken place, it will pull in the anointing from God's spirit. Think of the woman with the issue of blood. It's exactly the blueprint that she followed. Jesus is surrounded. Hundreds of people are touching him. Everybody wants something from Jesus. The problem in the church of America today isn't that people aren't looking at Jesus because they are. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, it wasn't that nobody was touching Jesus. They were surrounding him, but they weren't expecting anything from him. But what was different about this one woman? That she was able to get something from Jesus when hundreds of other people had their eyes on him, but they received nothing from him. What was the difference? Your Bible says that she said within herself. First thing, she said within herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. She hadn't laid eyes on him. She hadn't touched him. She didn't have a conversation with him. The first thing she did is when she got up that morning, she said, if I can get to him, the anointing will flow into my life and it will make me whole. It was the anointing that caused her to press through the midst of the crowd and touch the hem of his garment. She had a problem, a physical uh, infirmity that caused her to be weak. And this weak woman pushed through a throng of people to touch Jesus. It's not because she was strong. It's because she was hungry. A desire for God will cause you to push through the chaos Push through the desire to sleep and push through the desire of, you know, everybody's problems and, you know, all the stuff that's going on in your world and push through and say, if I can just get around the anointing, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just get a fresh word in my life, it will change everything. Come on, somebody. Hunger pulls the anointing. The environment matters to God and therefore it should matter to us. Can I tell you it's not the pastor's job to set the environment? Partly. Sarah will go to cooking dinner, put it in front of the kids. I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't want it. Guess what that does to the person cooking dinner? Well, guess what you're getting next time? I'm not putting, well, I'm not going to put effort. I'm going to be creative. But there's something about when you have hungry people. And you're preparing a meal for hungry people. Yeah. Oh, and that's how God is. It's like, it's like when we come to the table hungry and thirsty, Amen. he moves. He manifests his spirit. Are we bringing our faith? Are we bringing our engagement? Are we bringing our expectation? Can I say one of the ways we can tell Where you can tell where your engagement is is by how many people you're bringing with you. Man, I got real quiet real quick. (laughs) I've always said, you know, I'm just a beggar who found bread in the house of the Lord. But guess what people who found bread tell other hungry people? Where they found bread. Are you with me? So if we're not actively passionate 
about introducing other people to Jesus, it could be a sign that we are dull, and let me just submit this, maybe dead in our faith, and maybe going through the motions. Because when I see somebody else with a burden, and I know who can remove the burden, what's my natural desire? I, don't worry about that. Jesus can take care of that. If you promoted Jesus like you promote your latest diet plan, like you promoted the latest kitchen gadget that you got that, you know, come on, like if you're selling Avon, like everybody knows you're selling Avon. Why? Because it's all that you talk about all the time. And it's like the best product in the world. If we just live Jesus like that. And listen, I'm not saying we, we force it, but I'm saying when you are passionate and you've come in contact with the power and the presence of God, it's a natural flow. It's a natural flow. Oh, I know God can take care of that. Oh, your marriages, you need to come with me to church. Listen, God heals marriages there all the time. Oh, you have an infirmity in your body. That's no thing. Just come to the house of the Lord. I'll see you there Sunday morning. I'll save you a seat. Why? Because God heals that stuff all the time. No, I don't worry about that. Come on, somebody. It's all over scripture that the honor and the engagement of the people around Jesus or lack thereof contributes to the level of breakthrough they receive. You need to hear that again. The level of honor and engagement of people around Jesus or lack thereof contribute to the level of breakthrough they receive. You don't believe it? Let me show you. Matthew 13 Jesus is going into his hometown to do signs, wonders, and miracles. Matthew 13 teaches us that Jesus could do no miracles in Nazareth, even though it was hometown, his hometown, because they did not receive him for who he was. Their expectation of what they would get from him was off. He came as the Messiah. He came as the miracle worker. But they didn't see him as that. They saw him as the son of of Joseph, the son of Mary, the carpenter, the one they saw growing up in this, the streets of this city. And because they couldn't see him as the Messiah, it closed off what God could do in their city because of their expectation. This should make you scream. Why? Because it's not God holding something over your head saying, no, 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 you can't get it. You just keep reaching. You can't get it. Because doesn't it feel that way sometimes? But according to what God's saying, it's not him holding it over. It, it's the expectation of the people that are wanting what he has. And that makes me happy because it means God's not holding out on me. What I get has to do with the condition of me. And guess what I can change? Not God. I can change me. So the miracle worker couldn't perform any miracles in that environment. But compare that to what Jesus did in John chapter 2, where Jesus performs his first ever miracle at the wedding of Cana, where he turned water into wine. And you might have missed this before, but his mom comes to him and says, listen, they've run out of wine at the wedding. And that was like a social no-no. You had to be prepared for your guests. Environments are important. Well, listen to the words of Jesus. He says, woman, what do you want from me? My time has not yet come means I'm not even ready to do miracles yet. I didn't come here to even do a miracle. Sorry, this gets me excited. <laughs> because I even show up to do a miracle. It wasn't on my agenda to perform a miracle. I didn't even have in mind to show up and show out in your situation. I didn't even wake up this morning thinking that I was going to put blessing on your life. But when Jesus says to his mother, woman, what do I have to do with you? you it's not my time. You know what Mary does? She tells the servants that are there, go get some. Well, actually, she says, do whatever he tells you to do. Just do it. Amen. Contrasting what Jesus had just said. You know what that is? Bulldog faith. Jesus looked at his mother and said, no. She looked at the servant. Do what he says. 
But even though it wasn't his time, even though he didn't come expecting to do anything, the faith of his mother that said, even though it's not the time, he doesn't want to do it, my faith will cause you to perform a miracle. Do you see the difference in environment? He comes into his hometown and he says, I can't do anything. They don't expect anything. He comes into a wedding where he himself says, I'm not doing any miracles. And the faith of his mother causes him to turn around and say, fine, go get some barrels, fill them up with water, and I'll perform a miracle. Why? Because the faith of one person in the house, hungry for God, can make God step up and perform a miracle in your life, somebody. God's not holding anything off. He's not holding anything out. He's not this big guy in the sky saying, if you just do this and if you do that, maybe, 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 I'll give you a bite of it. God's saying, if you just get hungry, if you just get real, if you just start pursuing me, if you spend more time with me than you do on Netflix, maybe you'll see something happen in your life. But until you get to that place, what are you expecting God to do? The faith of Mary pulled on heaven and turned a wrong environment into a right environment. There's something about that. A few years ago, we used to have an organization who had women who were involved in drug addiction and they had a home in Lancaster and for once in a while, they would bring their group to our church to worship with us on a Sunday they would never give us warning or anything. They just came, which we appreciated. But we would go through a worship practice like it's an average one. But when I would come out to come onto the platform and I'd look out and I would see those two rows of girls, I knew. I don't care how practice went, today's going to be lit. And some of you were in the, in the, with us then. Do you know how I knew? Because they came hungry. They were fresh in their faith. Can I tell you, there's something different. Us old church, I'm talking about myself, religious people who've been around a little bit too long need to get some dip in some fresh oil because there's something about when somebody just encounters Jesus for the first time and he radically changes their life. There's a hunger, there's a passion, there's an excitement, there's a joy. And when they start worshiping God, man, they start drawing on the anointing. And I don't care how many religious old folk are sitting in the building, the anointing of God shows up because there's somebody in the building that's hungry and drawling on a demand from the anointing. Yes. And it's not just reserved for them. It's not, oh, well, you know, yep, after you're saved for six months, God's like, oh, no. No, there's, there's no time limit. Amen. We just start calling things that are uncommon, common. We just get used to the visual side of seeing people at an altar. And, stop, and start losing the power of, that's God touching somebody's life, rearranging their heart. That's not common. When somebody gets a healing in their body, yeah, God does those things. That's cool. You know, but pray for me because my back is real. The Bible says sometimes your breakthrough comes when you start celebrating what he's doing for somebody else. Why? Because you're creating an environment of faith. The environment today can be ripe for whatever you need from God. But you can't allow your mind or your mindset to talk you out of receiving it. I've said this before, but don't allow your mind to talk you out of what God is trying to talk you into. Amen. So why did Jesus come to the earth? What was his purpose? 1 John 3, 8 says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That should be commonplace. He came to destroy the works of the devil. When you get into an, an anointed environment and things start happening, the spirit starts moving, you should begin to expect burdens to be broken, lives to be changed, hearts to be open, mindsets to be renewed, 
why Jesus can't help but walk into a room and bondages disappear. Jesus can't help but walk into a room and see sickness healed. He can't help but walk into a room and see mental health restored. Because it's not something that he does, it's who he is. If we got that, it's just who he is. He is a healer. He is a deliverer. Are you struggling from anxiety? Are you struggling from uh, mental problems? He is the prince of peace. It's not something that he can and will maybe do for you. That's who he is. It's his nature. So when he walks into the room, it just flows out of him. It's like when he is invited to the table, healing and peace and deliverance and wholeness and joy and restoration are the plates set in front of us. But sometimes we're like those bratty kids. Well, I don't want that. I don't think that's real. I don't think you can do that for me. Here's what I'll take. I'll take a little goose bump and a little shout and a little Holy Ghost roll. Make me feel good, but it really brought no nutrients into my life to really bring sustainment and longevity to me. Quit trying to beg God to do what he already does. That was just number one. I know I got to move quick. Number two. Real quick, I'll move through this. The anointing will rally the troops. The anointing will rally the troops. Psalms 110, beginning in verse one. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Zion. You will rule over your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of of your power. I want you to see that last line. The people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. Here's what I found. The best way to get people involved and serving in the house of God is to have the full power of God on display. The anointing will bring people together for a sovereign purpose. The anointing calls unity to come upon God's people and it causes them to be unstoppable in the face of resistance. You know what's exhausting for a pastor? Trying to beg and manipulate and convince and argue people into being a part of something bigger than themselves. But the anointing, when you get that, and the anointing hits a room, and the anointing hits a life, what I have found is people's response is, I'll serve anywhere. I'll do anything. Look at Psalms where David says, listen, it's better to be one day in the courts of my God than a thousand elsewhere. Like David is saying, I'd rather be on the facilities team. And this is a king. I'd rather serve in the background. I'd rather serve and not be noticed. I'd rather serve than have a nice title. I'd rather serve than have a good paycheck. I'd rather serve than have a front row seat. Why? Because I've caught a glimpse of his glory and I'll do anything and give anything to be a part of what God is doing in the earth. Amen. But when we don't have his glory and we don't have his anointing, we try to fall to strategies. Well, how do we get them? How do we get them to serve? How do we get them to do this? How do we get them to do that? You just got to get with God. Come on, somebody. This isn't a social club where it's like, let's just climb the ladder and beg people. This isn't like, you know, this is the house of God, a sovereign place where the manifested presence of God dwells and lives are changed forever. When people encounter the presence of God, often their response is, whatever it is, here I am, send me. Whatever it takes, I'll give. Whatever it requires, I'll show up. It will be inconvenient, yes. It will take my time and my talent and my treasure, absolutely. 
At times it will feel uncomfortable, but better is one day in the house of the courts of my God than a thousand elsewhere. That's why the Bible says to the world, the cross seems foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Do you see that? The world will look at it and say, well, why? Why would you give of your time? Why would you give of your resource? Why would you spend money there? Why would you go there? Why would you get involved in helping the community? Why would you do any of those things? It's foolishness. That's just a sign that they haven't encountered the cross of Jesus. Because when you're being saved by it, it's not foolishness. It's my lifeline. It's my hope. It's my destiny. It's, it's where I connect with God and I give my life to serve it. I'll be a part of it. I'll push it forward. I'll do whatever it is I have to do to see God move in the earth. So the anointing of God brings people together. It's why to our teams who serve week in and week out, man. We thank you. For those who come in and straighten the chairs, it's valuable. Do you know why? Because every single chair, we've said this from the beginning, represents a soul. Every empty seat beside you is somebody in our city right now who doesn't know God and they're struggling in life and they need to be in that seat beside you. So it matters. To those even right now who are in the nurseries holding our babies, it's valuable. Do you know why? Because they're holding our future. They're imparting God into our future. To those who greet at the doors on Sunday morning, do you know why that's important? Because it's the first face that somebody walking into this building will see. And many times when people are walking in for the first time, they're hesitant and they're cautious and they're reserved and they don't know what this place is going to be like. But when they have somebody at the door with an anointing on their life, that handshake and that smile and that hug can instantly break off every hesitancy and let them be in a place where they feel comfortable and relaxed and can start experiencing the presence of God. So to everybody who serves and does things, we thank you. Why? It's valuable. This is why I'm so passionate about preaching balance with the things of the Spirit. Because I've had enough and I'm sickened by the religious elite who come in week after week and sit in their pews waiting for the next big moment to prophesy and show off their gifting. Refusing to serve anywhere. Refusing to be in any other ministry that might take them out of the sanctuary because they might miss their big moment. Listen, to claim that you have a supernatural gift and do not have the manifestation of the natural gifts, it's a problem. And I'm sick of it. You want to lay hands and prophesy over everybody, but you don't have the love and the joy and the peace of God in your own life. And the church, we'll, we'll celebrate. We can line them up and knock them down. And man, did you feel that? I was a part of a service a few months ago. A pastor friend invited me to come to a service and was an evangelist and man, people are falling out everywhere and it's all kind of crazy. And afterwards, they invited me to come back to a, a bus that they had for the evangelist that was there and all the pastors came. And I was sickened by what I saw. The man was screaming at his staff, belittling his staff. And for them, it was just common. And the response was, don't touch the man of God. And I said, well, you ain't coming to my church because I don't care how many you can line up and knock down. If you can't walk in the love of God, there's no anointing on your life. You've just learned how to manufacture what we would call the anointing. Are you with me? So that's why I'm all about the move of the spirit. I just want God to move with people who are willing to serve. If you're willing to come in and scrub out a toilet after a Sunday service, you are eligible to prophesy over the people of God. But if you think that you are so elevated in your God-given gifting that you can't do anything outside of show off your gifting, then I've got news for you. You don't have an anointing. What you have is a good show and a good performance, and we don't have time for that. You don't think I live this way? 
I've cleaned churches all of my life. I was here at 5.30 this morning straightening these chairs. Why? Because it's important. I was here cleaning out under a plant that some water leaked out. Why? Because it's important. I'm not trying to blow my own horn. I'm saying I live this way. I would never ask anybody to do in the house of the Lord what I don't do. That's right. I don't know if that's the kind of pastor you have. All right, moving on. You could have shouted me down there, but it's fine. So every once in a while, you see people roll through our doors who think, oh, here's a young, growing church, charismatic, I can show my gifting there. All right, we'll start serving somewhere. Get down in the trenches with us. Let me see the anointing in your going. I heard a lady, I said this before, but I heard a lady preach one time that she was in her bathroom because she had kids or whatever, so she'd go in the bathroom to pray, and she's hovering over her toilet, crying out to God for the anointing. God, give me the anointing. Give me the anointing. Good thing to pray, because you can't do anything without the anointing. But she said, God spoke to her and said, your toilet doesn't need the anointing. <laughs> and it's true, because he wasn't there to manifest the anointing for the toilet. He said, but in your going, the anointing will manifest. The anointing manifests in your life, in your going, in your doing, in your serving. When you begin to help other people, when you begin to pay the grocery bill for somebody in the store in front of you and the Holy Spirit just impresses upon your heart to pay for the bill and then share the gospel with them. We like to just say, well, let me just share the gospel with them and, you know, just tell them Jesus loves them instead of showing them Jesus loves them. All right. I know we're going hard this morning. Again, I apologize, but it's just... The anointing that's happening right now. When the anointing hits a place, the people of God will change their language. I don't have to serve. I get to serve. I don't have to give. I get to give. I'm not obligated to attend. I get to attend. Why? Because I'm a living stone worshiping a living God sitting in a living church. I, again, I live this. I can probably count on one hand the amount of Sundays I've missed in my entire life from church. Why? Because when I'm in, on vacation, I'm worshiping somewhere. Or I'm online worshiping with y'all. Why? Because I just live this way with this sense of any Sunday, anything can happen. And I don't want to be called in the miss. I don't want to be called, caught not being in the move. You with me? I know some of you have to work. I know, but there's, you, can, you can turn that thing up You're on the biggest screen in your house, turn the volume up and be right in the move of God with us. Just this week, somebody wasn't able to be here last week and they said, Pastor, I've been listening to that sermon all week long. Good. You couldn't be here, but you leaned into what God was doing in the house. Instead of just coming off work and putting on Netflix, you said, let me find out what God did in the house. Let me be a part of the move of the spirit. Team, you can come. If not, I won't stop. Because when you've caught a glimpse of the anointing, you crave it. You crave it. And lastly, the anointing will empower a person. I read this to you last week, but 1 Samuel 16 says, Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. That word rushed in Hebrew means, to, means uh, all of a sudden the spiritual might that causes one's life to supernaturally prosper came on David. In an anointed environment, you will find that it's God's power that does more in two minutes than man's power could do in two or three lifetimes. So all of a sudden a lost person gets saved. All of a sudden a sick person gets healed. All of a sudden, God's power causes the church to grow. It's an all of a sudden that makes God's power make up for lost time. Do you know that's in your Bible? Joel 2 says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. When you get around the anointing, what the enemy stole from you in years, God says, I'll restore back to you. I'll make him pay back into your life seven times what he's stolen. in a moment where God is moving on the earth 
supernatural moves of the Spirit are breaking out all around the world now. We couldn't say that a month ago. It looked bleak a month ago. Couldn't say that a year ago. So what I want us to do, church, is I don't want us to call common what is uncommon. I don't want us to say, well, that's good for Asbury or that's good for this college or that's good for what they're doing overseas. I want us to stand in the the face of God and say, me, here, now, in my house, be like Mary who said, I don't know what you said, Jesus. I don't care what you said, Jesus. I'm hungry and I need some wine now. I want a church that's like the woman with the issue of blood that says, I don't care how hard it is to get there. I'll press through the midst of them until I finally lay hold of what God has promised me and I won't let go until I see it. I want a church like that. I want to be like that. time is short Jesus is coming the Bible says that in the last days there will be a great falling away but in that great falling away there will be a greatest revival that the world has ever seen report after report has told us of the great falling away that's happening in the world and just like the prophecy says there will be the greatest revival and awakening that the church has ever seen let's stand to our feet Not all moments are created equal. Not all moments are created equal. There's, in my opinion, the scariest verse of scripture that I've ever read in my entire life is this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. You know why that's scary to me? Because it means there's a moment while he may be found there's a moment where he will no longer be found we see it even with the man who was laying laying on his mat for 40 years and every year the waters would stir and the angel would stir the waters and the first one in got touched and I'm sure after the waters were stirred he'd move his mat I always thought like if that was me I'd be like right here all the time and I'm sure after somebody got healed and the waters were stirred that's where he was for a few days but then he got tired and he backed up and he pulled his mat back farther and farther and farther and farther and now when it was time to be stirred again he missed it we're in a moment we're in an hour where God's doing something significant on the earth. And I'm not trying to make our church look like Asbury Revival or anything like that. I don't want that. Because I'm not them. You're not them. I want what God wants to do here and now and in this room. And for you and for me, I want us to live in complete victory. So Father, let's just pray. Encourage you if you feel comfortable doing it just lift your hands to heaven father we thank you right now that lord you're not holding anything out from us or anything back but lord you said if we would hunger and thirst that we would be filled you said if we would seek first the kingdom of god Lord, you said that we should seek you while you may be found. So, Father, in this moment, we set our hearts, we set our minds, and we set our spirits to say yes. Yes. Can you just say that with me? Yes. Whatever you will, whatever you want, our answer is yes. If you call us to go, we'll go. If you call us to stay, we'll stay. Yes. Yes. Father, bring your spirit, pour out your spirit, manifest your anointing. Our souls say yes. Because freedom reigns in this place. There are showers of mercy and grace, and they are falling. 
and bring your power manifest your spirit as you walk up and down the aisles of this church as you walk up and down the aisles whatever it is we need hope joy financial breakthrough you are it you have it it is what you are it is what you do we don't have to leave the same as we came in but we can leave changed and transformed renewed with hope for tomorrow hope for tomorrow victory for today father we thank you in the name of jesus that even now healings and deliverance are manifesting in this room breakthroughs are happening in this room as we press into you you press into us father he said draw near to me and i draw near to you we draw near we draw near we draw near we say yes god yes god yes god yes god come on just say yes god yes God in your own words yes God yes to your will yes to your spirit yes to the healing yes to the deliverance yes to the restoration yes to what calling me to go yes to whatever it is yes 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 we say yes our soul says yes in Jesus name 